You are listening to a sermon from Mission Point St. John. We hope this message encourages a deeper connection between you and Jesus, our Savior. for standing. You may be seated tonight. If you're a guest with us at Mission Point, we welcome you to the house of the Lord tonight in person or watching online. Amen. If you're a guest, we'd like to get to meet you at the welcome desk after service. Please join us there just for a few moments so one of our pastoral team can get a chance to meet you tonight. Amen. I thank God for what he's doing. 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 Amen. God is good. Hallelujah. He's greatly to be praised. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brother Robertson, for taking care of the services on Sunday. And uh, some great teaching. You received some great teaching on Sunday. Amen. I thank God for it. And here we are in the house of the Lord tonight. And I'm going to share some word with you if you would turn to Ephesians chapter 1. And uh, a few weeks ago, God kind of turned my attention um, to the book of Ephesians. And um, when I was praying about tonight, God uh, directed me to this passage that I had read a while back. And um, I want to share with you from these scriptures. I want to talk to you how a pastor prays or should pray for the saints. How a pastor should pray for the saints. And uh, Ephesians chapter 1, and beginning with verse 15, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, Paul speaking, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. I want to focus on some things that are mentioned in this passage that I read to you, uh, how a pastor should pray for the saints. Verse 17 tells us, may give unto him the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Verse 18 says, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Verse 18 says, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. Verse 18, and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And verse 19 says, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe. Paul 
uh, was praying for the saints that God would perform these five things. We're going to talk about it in the lives of the people. And in each of Paul's praying for the saints, he did not speak of prayers uh, for the physical safety of the recipients, but he always verbalized a pastoral concern for his congregation's spiritual maturity. And one of God's purposes for the church is for the congregation to grow in spiritual maturity. But sometimes there's a lot of confusion of what Christian maturity looks like. Maturity isn't about age. It's not. You can be a Christian for 50 years and still not be mature. Maturity isn't about appearance. Some people may look spiritually mature, but maybe they're not. Just because someone appears dignified doesn't mean that they're holy. Maturity isn't about achievement. You can accomplish much without being mature in your faith. And maturity isn't about academics. A seminary degree or a Bible college degree doesn't make you spiritually mature. So you don't get to be mature by comparing yourself to anyone else. You become mature by comparing yourself to the Word of God. The Word of God is the, is the, the staple of what we should be using to see if we are maturing in Him. The book of James is the manual, if you want to say, on how to be mature. It gives us the marks of spiritual maturity and how God wants us to grow in Him. First of all, in James chapter 1, it speaks about a mature person is positive under pressure. James chapter 1, verse 2, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. James is writing and says, uh, if you want to see a sign of a person who's mature, they don't bend under pressure. That doesn't mean that things don't happen in people's lives. Just because you're a Christ follower doesn't mean that you won't face trouble. But the question is whether you experience, as you experience troubles, uh, the question is how you and I respond to it. So when something doesn't go my way, do I get nervous or uptight or negative or, or do I grumble, complain? Amen. That, that's a sign of immaturity. You can be full of Bible knowledge and still be grumpy. No, I'm serious. You can have it down pat and still be a grumpy person under pressure. A mature Jesus follower can be under stress and still be joyful at the same time. Just because life is happening in my life doesn't mean uh, that I have to bend under pressure. I've got my faith uh, and my hope uh, in something that's more powerful than the circumstances of this world. Uh, I've got my faith in Jesus Christ. A mature person is positive under pressure. James says a mature person is sensitive to people. James chapter 2, verse 8, it is good 
when you obey the royal law as found in the scriptures. Love your neighbor as yourself. A sign of maturity is being sensitive to other people. Listen, when children are immature, they're completely self-focused. But mature people don't just see their own needs. They see the needs of others. Matthew chapter 25 and verse 31, Jesus tells us that one thing, uh, uh, one thing will be judged for in each and every one of us, and that is how we treat others. Uh, there's so many verses in the scripture, amen, that tell us as we attend the church and serve God and call ourselves a Christian, it better be that we're sensitive to other people. Can I tell you, it's not just about me. A sign of maturity is when it's not just about me. James says a mature person has mastered his mouth. James chapter 3 and verse 2. All of us make a lot of mistakes, James says. If someone doesn't make any mistakes when he speaks, he would be perfect. He would be able to control everything he does. It's interesting. I don't know if it's ever like this with every doctor, but you go to the doctor because you're sick and they want you to stick out your tongue. They can tell if you're healthy by how your tongue looks. How gross is that? Well, that happens in the natural sense. Guess what? Maturity can be seen in a person in myself in you by how our tongue is in control god does that in a spiritual sense and james gives us three illustrations regarding the tongue that the chapter calls it a bridle to the horse and 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 utter to the ship and a spark to the fire james uh, says no one can tame the tongue it's an uncontrollable evil filled uh, with deadly poison. James writes and says, if a person thinks that he's religious but can't control his tongue, he's fooling himself. That person's religion, he says, is worthless. Gossip, spreading rumors, and constant negative talk is a sign of immaturity. Can you hear it tonight? Can you say amen? If I'm gossiping about you, I've got, I've got big problems. If I'm telling stories uh, on you uh, and spreading rumors, uh, let me tell you, there's a sign of immaturity in that. If you got something uh, that you need to talk about, pray about, take it to the one who can fix it. Amen. Talk to God about it. Let him know. Man, I'm praying for you, that person. I'm praying. I don't know what's happening in their life, but I'm going to be a mature Christian and pray for them. A mature person has mastered his mouth. James says a mature person is a peacemaker and not a troublemaker. See, what causes fights, he says in James chapter 4, verse 1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Understand this, church. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. But the flesh, amen, the, the part of our life, amen, that, the, that, that we allow 
the things of this world to attach itself to, that'll cause you to be a troublemaker. I don't want to be a troublemaker. We all know Christians who make trouble more than they make peace. Conflict isn't, is not a Christian virtue. In fact, it's the opposite. It's a sign of immaturity. And James tells us that selfishness and judgmentalism are the two biggest sources of conflict in our lives. Both prevent us from a Christ-like maturity. Jesus asked us to pursue a Christ-like maturity. And so if I'm going to do that, I've got to let selfishness uh, go. Uh, and I've got to let judgmentalism go. Uh, I've got to put both of those things in their place uh, so that maturity can shine in my life. Christian maturity means learning to say no to selfish, judgmental attitudes that regularly cause conflict in my walk with God. I don't know about you, but there are times when I've got to get myself under control. Oh, I'm going to... Listen. I get something and it says and it's out of the way and it shouldn't have been said and, and I shouldn't have acted that way and... You get a little grumbly or complaining for a little while, and then all of a sudden you start to pray, and God starts talking to you, and you said, you got to smarten up. You've been walking this journey for too long to be so selfish. You've been in this way too long to start being judgmental against other people. He tells me, grow up. If I'm going to be mature, I've got to lay aside selfishness, my own personal preferences, and say, God, take every part of me that's not of you and let your spirit shine through me. I'm just setting the stage. James says a mature person is patient and prayerful. James chapter 5, verse 7 says, Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer... Waits for the land to yield its valuable crop. Patiently waiting for the autumn and the spring rains. You too, he says, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Patience and prayerfulness go together. They both express an attitude of dependence upon God. And they are marks uh, of a mature believer. James, uh, he's saying it's, a, it's a, a, a posture that farmers understand. They're willing to wait. You won't find crops that happen overnight. you got to wait for God to work in our lives. And if you can't wait, then you can't be patient. And patient is a key element of maturity. I'm still growing up. Oh, I, I don't have no problem admitting it. I'm a mess. Oh, I, I can explain it to you. I'm really a mess when I get behind a slow driver. And it always happens when you're in a hurry. And everybody's just looking in the fields and, and there's no passing lane. And you're just biting at the bit to get by. And you know you can't. That'd be breaking the law. What, that's never happened to anyone here? You all perfect drivers? I told you I'm going to start a driving school. 
That would be scary. A mature person, James says, is patient and prayerful. Are you trying to help people grow spiritually? Don't fall victim to the trap of, of the thinking uh, that people in church who maybe know the most scripture are the most mature. That's not a sign of maturity. Instead, how, how God is changing my character, how God is changing your character, you can ask the questions. Uh, how does this person handle problems? Uh, is this person sensitive to other people? Does this person manage uh, his or her mouth? Is this person uh, a troublemaker or a peacemaker? Or does this person pray without giving up? That's the kind of person who's mature in the Christ-likeness. And so Paul is, he's talking to the church at Ephesus, and he's, he's praying to saints, uh, and the scriptures that I read to you, he's praying that the saints would mature. And this, this is how the pastor prays for the saints. Remember, this is Paul praying for the church in Ephesus that he started. And he's praying that the saints mature. He doesn't run them down. He doesn't tell them how bad they are. He just says, listen, I'm always praying for you. And this is what I'm praying. He first prays, and you can see it in verse 17. He first prays that they would receive the spirit of wisdom. That's practical application of knowledge. He's praying that they will receive the spirit of wisdom and revelation. That's insight into eternal realities that are often hidden by our present circumstances. We cannot see the forest for the trees. That's what happens sometimes. We get so caught up. And what's happening around us that we forget the big picture. And Paul's saying, listen, I pray for you, saints, uh, that no one allows themselves to get caught up uh, in the circumstances around them. But rather look uh, for the big picture. The big picture is not about me. The big picture is about him. And so Paul's saying... I'm praying that you have the highest form of knowledge that's possible. See, the atheist claims there is no God for us to know. The agnostic states that if there is a God, you can't know him. And Paul, he's met God. He met God in Jesus Christ, and he knows that a, that, that person really cannot understand much of anything unless he has the knowledge of God. So Paul's praying for his saints. He says, I want you to get wisdom and revelation of who you're serving. Because this is what happens. To know God personally is salvation. To know him increasingly is sanctification. And to know him perfectly is glorification. I'm going from what God has done in my life to where he's taken me. And I don't plan on stopping. I'm planning on growing. I want to be a mature saint of God. If there's anything a pastor can pray for you, let it be that you have wisdom and revelation of who God is, who Jesus Christ is in your life. Amen. Since we are made in his image, 
The better we know God, the better we know ourselves. Could it be that some people don't know themselves because they don't know God? See, if we are made in his, in his image, and that's the Bible, the better we know God, the better we know ourselves and each other. Can I tell you, it's not enough to know him just as your Savior. I thank God for saving me. But that happened a long time ago. And I thank God for his mercy and grace that's keeping me saved. I'm thank, but I want to know him. Paul said in the power of his resurrection. Amen. I want to know him as father. I want to know him as friend. I want to know him as healer. I want to know him as provider. I want to know him as my sustainer. I want to know him. And Paul's praying for his saints in Ephesus and said, I'm praying that you receive a spirit of wisdom, a practical application of knowledge, and a revelation that's an external reality that goes way beyond your circumstances, that you've got a knowledge of God that's deeper than just knowing about him, but you know him. That's what Paul's saying. Secondly, Paul says that he's praying for the saints. He prays that the eyes of their understanding would be enlightened. The phrase, the eyes of the understanding, that's a figure that is common in all languages. Filio says that the eye is to the body that is the mind to the soul. The eye is the instrument by which we see, and in like manner the understanding is that by which we receive truth. Paul's saying here, he's not only wishing for uh, their hearts, but he's, he's wanting them to have an understanding in their eye that it's more than religion, that it's an enlightening that happens in their heart, soul, and mind. It's, it's something that that goes into a person that says, uh, well, I used to be blinded by sin, uh, but my eyes are open to the things of God. Uh, I'm allowing my understanding to get more knowledge of him than I've ever had before. If you want a pastor to pray for you, uh, pray that God opens your eyes uh, and enlightens you uh, to how powerful he is uh, in your life. Uh, it'll let the things of this world look very small. The things of this world in comparison to the God who formed it are really tiny. We make lots of mountains out of molehills. But think about how big God is. The earth is his footstool. You and I can be held in his hand. How powerful he is that he speaks and it happens. And he says, stop. And that's the end. And peace and the storm ceases. Just at the sound of his voice. Listen, I want my eyes to be open to the understanding and be enlightened to, to how powerful he is. If you, if you want pastor to pray for you, don't let it be for stuff. 
Don't let it be for stuff. Let it be for the enlightening that happens in your heart and soul and mind. Amen. That you seek God how he really is. That's the second thing Paul prays for his people. Thirdly, he prays not for the hope of their calling, but rather the hope of his calling. Calling involves election and the implementation of God's purpose in history. To know his hope is to understand the certain success that one has when they're called by God. Pursuing his calling. What is God's calling for my life? What is the talents and the abilities and how they should be used that God has put in my life? What's my witness and how it should be shared? What's my ministry and how it should be expressed? The word called, that's an important word in the Christian vocabulary. The word church is a combination of two Greek words that means called out. Paul stated that God, God called him by his grace, Galatians 1. He reminded Timothy that the believer has a holy calling, 2 Timothy 1. Peter says you've been called out of darkness uh, into his marvelous light, 1 Peter chapter 2. That word hope uh, doesn't mean hope so, but rather it's an assurance that when God called you, uh, amen, he started something in you uh, that he plans to finish. If there's anything that a pastor or preacher should pray for you, is that the calling of God, his calling and election is sure. He's got his hand on your life and he doesn't plan on taking it off. And even when people walk away from him, they cannot get rid of God's hand. That's what's so powerful about God. People can go in the opposite direction, but they can't get away from His Spirit. They can ignore His voice, but He'll keep calling. They will, they will take advantage of His grace and mercy, yet it's everlasting. Amen. And Paul's preaching, praying for his saints. He said, I'm praying for His calling in your life, not your calling. His calling. Fourthly, Paul says the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. That phrase, riches of glory, means glorious wealth. Or as we would say, how rich and glorious. The meaning is that there is an abundance of wealth. It can't be measured. It is not such a possession as man be may be air in this world, which that's limited, and it has just a length of time. But it's talking about an inheritance that's infinite and inexhaustible. It's a heavenly inheritance. The phrase does not refer to our inheritance in Christ, but rather his inheritance in us. I want you to think about that. He has invested in you. What is amazing about the insight is that God would look on us as part of his wealth. Paul's praying that people would understand who they are in God.
You may have the homeliest child in the world. But they're still your child. And it doesn't matter what anyone else says. They're your kid. And if they're homely, it's probably because of you. You're not trading them in. You're not selling them. You're not putting them on eBay. None of those things. Why? Because they're your child. There's something that's deeper than the superficial parts of life. God has invested in you. He purchased you with his own blood. You are part of his wealth. And Paul's praying for the saints. Uh, if we ever, if we ever get an understanding uh, of who we are in God, uh, there will be an understanding that's greater than anything in this world. Christ will be glorified in us. That's what Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians 1 and 10. And we will be glorified in him. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 4. That's not. Well, I think I'll make something cool and make people. Uh Uh-uh. You were created in his image. He already knew what he was going to look like when he came. And that's how he created you and I. He thinks so much of you. He's crazy in love with you. And he looks at you as part of his wealth. Oh, God. Help us, God. Help us to pray for our people that they understand who they are in you. Help them to understand, God, that they're not an afterthought. They're not second class. Amen. And there's not a back seat that has to be taken to anyone in this world. We're part of his inheritance. You say, Pastor, that sounds a little conceited. You're conceited about your kids, too. I am. Oh, yeah. I'm, I got the three best kids in the world. And then came grandkids. And they're close to being even better than my kids. They're the best. No, that's not right. No, the kids are the best, Miranda says. I got the three best kids in the world. I say it. I believe it. And it doesn't even matter what other people think. Because they're part of my inheritance. Well, if I think that way in a natural sense, think about the one who sealed you with his spirit. Think about the one who took up residence in your heart. Think about the one who forgave you of your sin. Think about the one who put his name upon you. Think about the one who knew you before you were even in the womb. Think about the one who's fearfully and wonderfully made. Think about the one who adopted you into his family, grafted you into his vine. Hallelujah. He thinks the world of you. Oh, man. I wish every Christian could realize who they are in him. Maybe it's a Canadian thing that we... Are apologetic by or how we feel. God doesn't care about where, what country you're from and what language you speak. 
What God cares about is he made you. And he believes in you. And he has no doubt. He already sees you as an overcomer. He already sees you on this other side of burdens and trials and temptations. He already sees you. He's preparing a place for you. That where he is, you may be also. Amen. He's not hoping you move out and don't come home. It's the opposite. Okay, I'll explain it to you. I was kind of glad when my kids moved out. My wife wasn't happy about it at all. She carried them for nine months. She wanted them to live with us forever. And I said, uh-uh. No, no. Come, Evan. Come, Evan. Cody, come. Jesse, take them away. Now, we're glad when they come back, but I'm not interested in them all moving back in. No, seriously. I love them. Don't get me wrong. But if all three and their families came back tomorrow and said, Dad, we're moving back in with you, I'm moving out. What's so wonderful about God, you aren't even there yet. And he's preparing a place for you. That where you can be, and that's with him for eternity. He has no desire of you ever leaving home. There's going to be empty mansions for people who haven't made it. He was already in preparation for them to come. That's how much he loves you. He's preparing a place. He's looking past your trials. He's looking past your struggles, your faults, and your failures. And he's ready for you and I to come around the corner so he can run to meet us, put his arms around us, give us a big fat kiss, and have a barbecue. He's in love with you. Okay, i got to stop. Lastly, this is what Paul prays for. His saints, this is what he's praying for. The exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power. The apostle is here speaking of the glorious state of believers after death. The exceeding greatness of his power. The power that surpasses all difficulties. Omnipotent power. It's understood that there's coming a day. That you're going to be changed and be like him. Just think about that. Changed and be like him. By making us his inheritance. God is showing his love towards you. Promising us a wonderful future that has encouraged our hope. So tremendous is this truth that Paul says... This in many different words that are used in this verse that he's pointing it out. He uses the word dunamis, which is power, as in dynamo or dynamite. Energesia, which is the working as in energy. Kratos, which is mighty. Ixus, which is power. The verse could be translated this way. What is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the operation of the might of his strength? 
He's talking about a divine, dynamic energy that's eternal, uh, that's available to you and I. Uh, and Paul is praying uh, that you and I would be enabled with this wealth of God, uh, that there's no enemy in this world uh, that would stop you from becoming what God uh, desires for you to be. That's what a pastor prays for the saints. Uh, God, let them be everything that you wanted them to be. It's seen in the following verses, which talk of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he says, this is the power that it's done by. Verse 20, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. Far above, he says, all principality and power and might and dominion. Every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. What Paul is writing about, he's saying that God is so powerful, not one of these five things is he not able to do in your and my life. And so as pastor prays for the saints, and pastor lifts the saints up in prayer, that God would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation, a knowledge of him that you've never, ever had before. That your eyes of understanding would be enlightened and you would see him in the way he wants you to see him. That you may know the hope of his calling and what he has in store for your life and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints how in love he is with you that he wants to spend eternity with you and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe he believes in you Paul says in none of his praying for the saints does he pray for their protection or their stuff or that they get more stuff? Doesn't pray for any of that. Rather, you can put it all into one little nutshell. Pray that you understand who God is in your life and how he should be seen in your life. And you will be as powerful as he wants you to be. Why would you and I settle for anything less? Well, you know, so-and-so might need it more, Pastor. Uh-uh, not getting it from me. If God's got something for me, I'm taking it. You're not getting it. Uh-uh. He's got stuff for you. Music, come. He's got your stuff. He knows exactly what stuff you need. He knows exactly what talents he wants you to have and how he wants to use them and how he wants your life to become and how powerful. He's got all that already planned for you. I'm taking what he's got for me. I thank God for a pastor and pastors that prayed for my life. That God allowed me to become uh, the work in progress that I am today. I want to continue to grow. I want to continue to become everything he wants me to be. And as a pastor of this church, I'm praying that God allows you to be everything that he wants you to be. Nothing less. Nothing less. 
We're getting for, we're getting ready. God's leading us into a new realm and dimension. And in the next little while, we're going to call a special prayer time and fast. God's preparing us to take us to levels that He wants us to go. I'm ready. I want to be ready. I'm anticipating. I'm excited about it. I refuse to let my personal preferences dictate the circumstances that are happening around me in my life to hold me back from what God has in store for me. No, I'm taking the opposite approach. God, open my eyes. Open my wisdom and understanding and revelation so that I can see what you want to do through me and because of you in my life, I, I want to see, God, what I really mean to you. How I'm the wealth of your inheritance. How much he loves his kids. How much he cares for his children. Who's the greatest in the kingdom? Jesus sits and he takes up a child in his knee. It was probably pretty shocking to them in that day just because of how children were viewed. He said, you want to be the greatest in the kingdom? Become like one of these. And he's giving an example of how you and I are his children. He's so much in love with you. God, I pray for this congregation right now. As a pastor of this great church, God, you've blessed us with the privilege of pastoring these wonderful people. And God, as pastor, I pray, Lord, for spiritual wisdom and revelation to every saint of God. That everyone's eyes would be enlightened. They would see the hope of your calling. And how, God, you're looking at us as your inheritance. How much value you put on us as an individual. How you're preparing for us to be with you for eternity. And that's coming very soon. And we're anticipating living with you. Eternal life. Oh God, I pray for every saint of God. That we would realize how powerful we are in you. And our eyes, God, would get to see what you're trying to do through our lives. (laughs) Oh God. Oh God. I pray for your church. I pray for your people. I pray for your children. I pray, God, for your family. I pray for the body. I pray for the body today. Would you stand right now? Would you be willing to step out of your pew? Make your way to this altar tonight. 
Pastor's not perfect, long ways from it. And oh, I care about you in this church. Care about the people that God has entrusted me with. And I thank God on a regular basis for the people that He has entrusted me with. Would you just step out of your pew and allow Pastor to pray for you tonight? Maybe it's a long time since you come to the altar. I think tonight would be a good night to do that. Let Pastor pray over you. Say, oh, you can do that while I'm in my seat. Pastor just asked for you to step out. Make your way out of that pew and just say, Pastor, pray for me if you would. Pray that I would have a spirit of wisdom and revelation and enlightenment like I've never had before. Would you pray for the hope of His calling in my life? Pastor, would you pray that I'm able to view how important I am in God's kingdom and in His wealth and how He's preparing for us to spend eternity together? Would you pray for me, Pastor? I want to make sure everyone's... If you're at home right now, if you're at home right now, pastor's praying for you. Pastor's praying for people that don't even attend this church. I'm praying for you that God would allow these five things that Paul prayed over his saints. That they would happen in their lives. Would you reach out right now, God? I thank you for every person, God, that's in person tonight and every person that's watching or listening online. I pray for every individual. No matter, God, what their past is like. No matter, God, what they're dealing with right now, currently. The circumstances that are happening in their lives right now, God. I pray, Jesus, that we'd be able to surpass all of those things. And God, I pray we'd be able to to look up and higher. Lord, that there would be a spiritual wisdom. God, that would come upon your people. And a revelation. God, of the things of you like we've never had before. That we're reading your word and God, things just pop out to us that we've never seen. The power and the authority, God, of who you are. That our eyes would be opened and enlightened to the understanding, God, of who you are. That the hope of your calling that's in every one of us, God, I pray, would come to to fruition. And the purpose that you have for us, God, would be seen. I pray that the power and the anointing of the Holy Ghost be demonstrated in our lives. God, help us to view what price you paid. You didn't purchase us with corruptible things of silver and gold. God, incorruptible things way beyond, hallelujah, our, our human thinking. You gave yourself for us. You died for us. God, you gave your life for us even without any guarantee of us living for you. You cared that much for us. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God, your desire is not that one person would perish. Not one. But that everybody would come to a repentance 
Everybody, God, would spend eternity with you. That the whosoever will would call upon you. I pray, God, for the people tonight that every one of us, God, every one of us would see past all of the things of this world and view, view you the way you desire for us to see. Thank you for joining us today. If you want more information, connect with us on our website at missionpoint.ca. God bless you.